so I think, you know, and again, I'd say with the help of the coach, the learning was around actually taking a step back, trying to take a little bit of that emotion out of it and rationally looking at, okay, what did you actually do? And then... Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Laura Siddle on the show. Uh, so good afternoon, good morning to you, uh, Laura. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, good afternoon to you, isn't it? It's morning for me, but yeah, I think you're in the late later afternoon in the UK. Yes, you're all, you're all the way in Hawaii at the moment, uh, which is a, never been, but I'm sure it's a lovely part of the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's funny, I associate Hawaii we have a big race the world championships um in October every year in Hawaii so for me it has different connotations and associations Mm. than I think probably what uh, most people would would think when you say Hawaii um having said that obviously I'm not complaining I'm in Hawaii it's very beautiful (laughs) um I'm here to help a friend uh, for a, a, a different event coming up but yeah no no complaints from that as I'm I'm sat at yeah, and we were just saying turning the air conditioning off rather than the heating on as the, the UK <laughs> is at the moment in November. Absolutely. So I'm just going to introduce you to the, to the audience. You are a professional triathlete, and you'll reference there to the Ironman Championships in, in Hawaii. Uh, but you made the jump from to become a professional sportswoman in your early 30s. Um, prior to that, you were an engineer. Uh, you spent some time as a British Army's officer. Uh, and since your adventure into triathlon, you've won five times Iron Distance Triathlon Championships and four World Championships as an amateur as well. So you've done pretty good um, since uh, you've been doing all this. Um, and we're going to be exploring um, how to take that leap of faith into something very new or a new adventure, and whether that's in a career context could be or or could be in, in, in your business it could be very relatable here and how you overcome whether it's naysayers how you challenge the norm and how you navigated that uh, with the internal external sort of um, sort of pressures that come with that um but before we get there laura um what do you love about what you do um i think probably the people in the community and the you know I have been lucky that through the sport and through being able to follow what was my hobby and passion that to make that as a as a career um I've been fortunate enough to live and travel to amazing places around the world both training and racing and you get to meet an incredible array of people and learn their stories and what drives them and their backgrounds and ultimately then on race day we're all on the same the same course at the same time and I think so I love that aspect and I the fact that yes it's an individual sport it's me on the start line getting from A to B as quick as I can it's me against my other competitors but there is also that team element around it like I said the community of of everyone else but then also my team 
uh, my coach, strength and conditioning coach, uh, nutritionist, you know, massage, you know, everyone else, all those other elements that go into it. So, and I have a team background as well in sport. So I, I do very much value, value that. So yeah, I'd say people, people community um, is probably what, what I do love. I mean, then I, I do love pushing myself swim, bike, run. It's that combination and balance of trying to seeing where you can improve, seeing how you can be better in each of those disciplines, and then trying to balance that performance on race day to get them all firing at the same time, which is is quite a conundrum at times. Yes, that's the the secret sauce, as they call it, isn't it? And it must that's happen right. di- different at every race. Yeah. And you sort of synchronise all that. And it's interesting to talk about uh, community, isn't it? I think a lot of um, sports people, whether you're – an individual sport or a team sport the community piece is really important and who's behind you supporting you and helping you and aiding you is so valuable uh, and i think we've got to you know completely acknowledge that you know communities are really important and building communities and organizations are equally the same as well so it's important to do that um so you made this transition from an amateur sort of triathlete to a professional which is i say not too unusual in the sense of people go from amateur to professional. Um, but the challenge you had, and, and it's not disrespecting your age, you did it in your early 30s, which is a little late, I would say, yeah. in the world of triathlon. Um, firstly, why did you do that? And what, what were the, sort of the core reasons behind sort of pushing to go sort of professional? Yeah, I, I've, I'd always done sport growing up. So but it was always the hobby. So, you know, at school, the path was very much go through school, get your A-levels, go to university, get a job. And if you did sport or you did extracurriculum activities, I should say, you know, it was, it was great for looking on your, for for your CV and for an employer to say, oh, like we've got a great rounded individual and they've got all these other skills that they bring to the workplace as well. So, sport was always a huge hobby of mine and I loved it, um, but, and did everything. But, never never saw it as a profession because of kind of that stereotypical route um I do think that's changed I will say uh, and the age thing is reflective here I, I do think that's changed a little bit in the UK but I was probably a few years just ahead of when they came in with all the talent ID programs and sort of when they sort of had got the the Olympic beard and they were sort of looking for those yeah developing the the pathway programs, I think, for sport, mm. um, and I was just a bit too old and a bit bit ahead of that. Um, so I went. I got the opportunity. So always doing sport, but always as a hobby. I got the opportunity to go to Australia with my job at the time. So as I said, I was I was an engineer, um, and through friends from work, got introduced to triathlon and started it as a complete beginner at, at this point, at the age of sort of twenty nine, and. I think just Australia, again, at that point, we're just so a few more years ahead of the UK in terms of the acceptance of sport as a career and that you could make it a a profession. Um, And it was through those early years as an age grouper and I um, got better as an an amateur, as an age grouper and, and said sort of lucky to win four world championships that it, I then sort of started getting that question of, um, oh, you should do this professionally. And, you know, why don't you do this professionally? And 
it was quite tricky at first because I still, again, had sort of those connotations around, well, you, you know, can you do it professionally? It's, it's still a hobby. But also I, I got to that point of thinking, well, I've, I've always loved sport. It's always been that, that passion and thing that drives me, but I've never fully committed to seeing what I could do. Um, and here there was then in Australia, this opportunity that maybe I could give it a go and I could give it a chance. And, um, you know, I think I probably got to that turning point. I wasn't particularly enjoying my corporate job at the time. And as you said, I wasn't getting any younger and it was kind of like a now or never situation. And it was sort of, I don't want to look back 10 or 20 years time and think what if, and I never gave it this chance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I then took the leap to become professional at, like you said, the age 34, when most, most, uh, professionals are probably going back to the, the corporate world or a normal and un, what we would stereotypically call a normal job. Um, and I was going the, the other direction. Um, I think there is sort of, I, I also do the endurance side of the sport of triathlon, so that we're racing over eight, nine, ten hours. And I do think, you know, for for that side of it, age can be beneficial. Mm. Uh, like you build up more endurance as you get older. There was no there's no way that I would have been able to be a professional triathlete and be competing mm. at the short distance and at the the Olympic distance. Um I mean, what, what obstacles did you face yeah. in your own mind when you were making that decision to go and you call it a take a take a leap and that's that leaping into something unknown or leaping off a cliff or something so what were those obstacles and how did you sort of navigate them in your heads yeah I think at the time there was just that sort of I guess should I do this could I do this um you know, I think the remarks from family were sort of, you know, but the, the company you work for it has a good pension scheme sort of thing, you know, how are you gonna gonna survive from that side of it? Um I did a bit of a I guess, you know, back of the envelope finance could I could I afford to do it or what did that look like, I think. Um but didn't really also do a financial look because I think if I had done it in any detail, I probably wouldn't have taken that leap because you can you know you easily talk yourself out of it um and it was just almost like a effort moment to some extreme of going like I said if I don't do this now I'll still be sat here in a corporate environment in years to come I think the real challenges came afterwards and after I'd made that transition um you know, I ended up moving to the USA because I joined a, a coach who was based in San Francisco. So I pretty much sort of sold up everything I owned in, in Australia and, you know, move, move my life again uh, to another side of the world, which, again, I, I'd done from UK to Australia. So that wasn't necessarily difficult, um, although I would say it was the difficulty was going from having – when I moved from the UK to Australia, I was still, I had a, a corporate job. I had sport as a hobby. I did also have some family in Australia. So I had sort of three network, you know, circles, mm -hmm. communities, I guess, that I could fall back on. When I moved to the States, I was going 
the hobby and the job were now one. So that was only one network or community. And also I didn't have family or, or friends out there as such. So it was suddenly very much a, a smaller, narrower um, yeah, community or environment to, to fit into. Um, and then the other difficulties and challenges were sort of once I got there, yeah, where is that next bit of money coming from? Um, can I do this? Can I, can I be successful at races to make this sustainable? And it's those questions that were going around in your head and you're, you're, you end up, or I ended up searching for those answers and searching for that justification all the time in everything I was doing and almost getting too caught up as well in what other people would think, you know, who does she think she is leaving the corporate world, traveling over the world? Does she think she's going to be the best, you know, does she think she can be this professional? And, and so the, the difficulties I found came after the leap um, because I didn't per, sort of semi purposely didn't give them too much headspace or time before mm. I made the leap. So, so how did you deal with those naysayers or those moments when you're thinking, um, I'm going to pay for my rent and all the, the financial realities of this. Yeah. I mean, the naysayer one is interesting because ultimately that's just what we create in our heads. No one really, you know, everyone is so obsessed with their own lives and their <laughs> own journeys and what they're doing that no one really, it's hard and it's easier said than done. Like, but no one, no one's really saying that. That's just our perception of what, people are, are thinking and are probably insecurities around that um but uh, to, to but on the flip side of that you have to be you have to come back to like what was that driver driving force of why you wanted to do it to start with so for me it was um it wasn't for the money like I wouldn't you know I wouldn't reckon recommend going into professional sport or not triathlon for a, a, a career change of financial um security it was very much a personal drive of i want to see if i fully commit to, to something and fully commit to sport which i mm. hadn't done like how good can i be how good how good can i get what are my limits what's my the best i can be so that was the driver and so when you're trying to yeah uh, shut out those negatives or shut out those voices and, and those opinions it's really coming back to that remember I want to see how good I can be I want to see what I can do in the sport for me um the financial thing is was and is still stressful um even like what am I you know pretty much eight eight, nine years as a professional. And this year, you know, November this time is, is always sort of contract negotiations and, and, and that sort of thing. And I've had a pretty good year of results, but it's probably one of the stressed I've been with trying to look at sustaining this into next year mm. and onwards um, than I have been for a long time. But I think in those first few years as a professional, it's, it's, you don't have the results. You don't have anything to, um, put behind yourself when you are are looking at how to make it financially viable. You don't know if you're going to be placing in races and and winning money, and it's only very you know it's small scale. So mm. 
and also San Francisco is not a great choice of location. Uh, thanks for the coach at the time. Um, for somebody who's suddenly gone from a corporate salary to, to no salary, because mm. it's incredibly expensive place to live. So, I mean, I was very lucky the first sort of three, four months I was staying with a friend. Um, so very generous of them. Um, and then, yeah, churned through a lot of savings so I, I was lucky I did have savings, um, but churned through a lot of them in those early days before starting to get a bit more established in terms of a few race results on the cards and then building up some partnerships mm. and, and things like that. You talked about how you, when it was difficult and it was tough, you went back to almost the reason why you did it. And some would say that's like when people discover their purpose, whether that's in an individual perspective or from an organizational point of view. And when you you face challenges, which we always will along the way, we just realign ourselves with the purpose, which almost takes us beyond the, the moment we're in and it helps us navigate difficulties, helps us be more creative. And it's almost like a, like a I don't know, your true north or your guiding light, whatever it is. Would you say that's what you got when you made that leap? Is that like the sense of purpose about what you were going to try and do? Would you encapsulate it in that context or would it be something different? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, as I said, like, I, from a kid, like, growing up as a kid, like, sport had always been that thing that really got me excited. I just loved mm. it. I just undid everything. Um and so now it was excited about having that opportunity to follow that that passion and, and really try and um yeah, as I said, like see what I could do if I fully committed to something. Mm. I think there'd always been a slight fear factor, and I think there still is with with me and with a lot of people in terms of it's that fear of failure. And so you you don't really want to fully commit to something in case it doesn't work and you don't want that kind of shame, but you have to, like a lot of times you have to rephrase that. And there's a classic phrase that's, you know, but what if I fail, but what if I fly? And I kind of had that hole as well in taking that leap. I was like, look, what's the worst that can happen if it doesn't work and I'm not very good at this or I don't see the improvements or I don't enjoy it or financially, you know, financially things run dry. I go back to mum and dad's, you know, I go back, I return to the UK. I live with my mum and dad for a bit. I reset. I, you know, go back to the corporate world. I, mm. th there'll be another door that opens. Mm. Um, but it was that not living with a regret of never having tried and never just having seen what that opportunity might give. And with that, like you said, and I think that is, it's that I just wanted to see if I fully committed what I could do and how good could I be mm. at sport, at this sport, because I'd never given that. And I think maybe it also comes back, as I said, I was a few years older when the, all the talent ID programs came in and I would have loved, like I don't have many regrets in life um I've, I've been very fortunate I know and um but I do wonder uh, you know and as a little girl I would never have dreamt I would be chatting to you from Hawaii and traveling around the world and and, and racing as a, a professional athlete but I often wonder if I'd been a few years younger and had been able to go to one of these talent ID programs 
what sport I would have ended up in and where I would be. Like I believe, I don't believe I'm particularly talented as such, but I believe I have a physical capacity for sport. Um, and I'd have been fascinated to do a talent ID program at a younger age and just to see, get someone else to sort of say, actually your physiology, you would be great here and then like and, and see that but because I never had never had that and then mm. so that's kind of that corporate career and and so then yeah making that leap was that like well let's drive that myself how what is my yeah mm. how good can I be if I fully commit here if that makes sense that makes sense um <clears throat> I would say you you are pretty talented <laughs> from my perspective anyway <laughs> um in terms of, it seems that you you obviously had this, whatever it was, untapped potential you thought you had in terms of in a sport context, and you wanted to unleash it, unlock it, however you want to expand it, uh, reach that potential in some capacity that was probably driving you. Um, just going back a slight tangent on, on into failure, because you talked about how, that sort of fear of failure. Um, can you give me an example where, since you've been professional, that you failed and how you sort of dealt dealt with that and and did that make you sort of stronger or think differently about going forward um i think we fail i don't know know whether the word fail um in sport there is only one winner effectively as in the first person that crosses the line so ultimately you could say anyone else who doesn't win loses fails or whatever but that's not necessarily the case because i think we only fail if we don't learn from something Mm. i think failure is an opportunity to learn and improve and be better um so having said that, I would say, though, there are performances. Um, so a couple of things, and if I forget, tell me to come back to the performances. There are decisions I've made in my career which I wish I'd have made a year or so earlier. Again, and it's a little bit about taking a risk, but it's a little bit about the fear of the what if it doesn't work. So um a couple of years ago, I realized that I think I needed to change coach and we'd had a a great, a great time together, but it was kind of running its course and coming to its end and things weren't, weren't great. But I was also, you know, at that point I was um, late thirties. So again, stereotypically over the age of, of when people, you know, coming up to people think you should be retiring from sport. Um, And it was kind of like, is it worth changing coach now? How long have I got left? You know, a new coach, you're going to have to go through everything again. Like, is it going to be, be- you know, is it grass is greener or, or not? Mm-hmm. And I failed and there was a fear factor there to make that leap sooner. And I, again, don't have many regrets, but I wish I'd changed to my new coach sooner. Um, and that, again, it's nothing so you no, say it was, fear, was it fear stopping you? Is that, is that what stopped you? Yeah, I think it was kind of um, 
that unknown of what if and building a new relationship with someone and is actually what you have is that the best or you know is that you know is the grass greener is it not and but again it's like you don't know until you try and actually it as it as I said it, it turned out it's been it's that initial fear and failure to make that decision now I've done it has been one of the best decisions I've made in my career but I kind of should have done it a couple of years earlier. Um, and, and so what, what made you make the decision in the end then? What, what was it, uh, something external? I think, yeah, I think you just get to, again, a little bit like that, making the leap to the sport. You can drag it out and you can reason why you shouldn't do it for so long. But at some point there's like a breaking point or a tipping point where you just need to to make that change and I can't I can't necessarily pinpoint a process you go through but it's almost like you you just hit the bottom and it's um it it just something snaps and you go I've just got to do again it's like an effort an effort moment it's like you've got just got to go do this Mm. um I think then in terms of there's been races where I have felt like I failed. Um, and a good example of this was Challenge Roth last year, which is one of my, it's a race in Germany. It's a huge race. It's one of my favorite races. It's, I do it every year. It has an amazing team. Uh, the people there are just, they're almost, they're like family now. I, I've been there for six years, I think. Um, and I had a great race in uh, the year before and I came second and, came in this year um just again wanting to have a great day out because it's a race that I love and you just want to have a good day in in that environment and um I came fourth um and I was absolutely gutted and distraught and now I with the caliber of women racing it was an un- it was unlikely that I was going to win and I was wa- I was wa- aware of that so I had um uh, context or reality I guess on my where, what I could achieve on the day but I feel sort of another second again was was achievable but just I was at the time I just saw the results and was like it was destroyed it was a failure uh, and again I appreciate this is all relative it's sports it's not life and death at the end of the day um and it took me a long time to rationalize and get over that result. And ultimately I had to sit down, you know, I sat down with my coach, you, you, you know, you always give yourself a few days cause it's, it's an emotional and mental and physical toll to do these mm. races cause they're nine, nine hours and the training that's gone into it. So after you have to give yourself a few days to just let things settle and process. Um, but I was super, angry fr- frustrated felt I'd you know let let myself down and others down it really wasn't the result but it it took like sitting down and talking with my coach and actually just going through it and actually my my performance was actually pretty good like relatively for the build-up I'd had and, and everything mm-hmm. like that um yes compared to the you know the result wasn't what I wanted but the actual physical performance wasn't 
disastrous as I had felt in that mm. irrational moment. Um, and yeah, you know, I got beaten by people who were better on the day and I have no control over that. And that is something that you have to have to accept and, and learn to manage. But my actual physical performance in the race for me was not as bad as I'd assigned it from the, from the result. Mm. Um, and I saw that as a failure, but you, but ultimately had to turn it around and go, yeah, it wasn't the result I wanted, but the performance wasn't disastrous. And there were still lots of things, lots of positives I could take away mm. and lots of things I could, could learn from and work on and improve for next time. And then you flip it the other way and you use it then as fire and as mm. motivation and as um, hunger for then getting better and improving and so then the next time you step on that start line you want to have improved on those elements you identified whatever they may be mm. in that next performance what did you learn about yourself from that experience of coming forth and appearing in your in your words uh, being a failure uh, from your expectations um I mean, I'm not sure I learned it that way. I'm a very emotional racer when it comes to um, particularly, like I, I kind of, I guess, when I'm racing, wear my heart on my sleeve um, or at least afterwards. Um, again, not sure I learned this. I learned this at the time, but I, I knew this and it just, it made it more aware that I'm very critical and very harsh on myself and, Again, I think you have to be, I guess the learning from that was you have to be really careful with that. Yeah, that's what makes us all high performers or sports people or people that, mm. you know, in business um, super critical because we, we're wanting to improve. We're always wanting that next. You know, mm. a lot of times we don't often celebrate our successes because we've already switched on to what's next. What's the next goal? How can I be better? Mm. And so it's always almost as athletes or, or, or business or, or anyone in life, you, you constantly feel like it's never enough. You constantly feel like you're not good enough because mm. our mentality has forgotten what we've just achieved, win, result or anything. And we've already gone on to, well, how can I be even better? Um, so I think, you know, again, I'd say with the help of the coach, the learning was around actually taking a step back trying to take a little bit of that emotion out of it and rationally looking at, okay, what did you actually do? And then um, compared to the performance, and I'm wary about saying this in terms of comparison to others because I think we have to be careful at how we do that um, because, again, it should all be about how we being our best self mm. and relative to our previous performances. But, you know, doing a little bit of like, well, this is where you were compared to X, Y, and Z. And actually that's kind of ballpark from previous races or yes, there was a little bit better, a little bit, you know, to try and just give it a little, little bit of context. Mm. Um, I also learned, I think that um, I'm, and again, I, I think I kind of knew this, like I said, I'm, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm passionate about the sport and the community and the people I race with. So um, 
it's like just having that connection and not feeling like you've let people down as well. Um, but again, ultimately, um, you know, the next day things have moved on and, you know, it's, what is, what's the saying, you know, today's newspaper is tomorrow's chip paper kind of thing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. It is a good lesson, isn't it? When, when things do go wrong and are, and are not great, often we are our worst own critic and we're harder on ourselves than we are on others. Cause some of the stuff that was probably in your head, you will be like that to the lady who came fifth at all. In fact, you'd be completely the opposite. And I think it's a, a lesson of being more self-compassionate really, isn't it? And starting to be a bit more kind on ourselves. I know, I know, I know you've got to push and I appreciate that and that, that drive, but actually that can get in the way, can it sometimes? Totally. And it, it totally goes back to all those things. And I am the worst person at this because I'll, I'll say it and I understand it, but then in my head, I, argue and rationalize differently you know that whole would you say that to your best friend is that how you would treat your best friend in terms mm. of everything that you are saying in your head and the self-sabotage and the that you know the tearing yourself apart like you said I wouldn't say that to the person who came fifth would you say that to to your best friend no so why are you saying it you know that's not how you would treat anyone else so why are you mm. treating yourself like that um and I think that's so true in a lot of situations, but easier said than done because you always <laughs> can rationalize or you always argue, oh, but it's different for me or it's different when I'm talking to myself. And it, mm. it's not really. You still need to be, yeah, give yourself a little bit of slack and be a little bit compassionate about, yeah, what you what you still achieved and what you I, – I think then it's almost – again like looking back at like how far you've come as well where did you start and then where have you got to and success whatever that means to a person because I think again that has very different connotations it's never linear it's always this kind of roller coaster and up and down and you do a left tangent and a right turn and three steps backwards and more forward so I think you have it's important to kind of remember that that path as well Mm. yeah I often look at my in my own business, I look year on year how I'm performing rather than comparing to anybody else or right at the moment. So actually this time last year I was here and I, and I use that as a good steer of my progression uh, over a long year. Cause if it can be yeah. up and down, as you, as you say, um, uh, that's interesting. And the other thing I, I observe from, from your learning really is that you took a few days out for you sort of did a debrief. And I think it's, imp- it's a good lesson that in terms of, when things do go a little bit wrong in a, in a business and a contact or in a team is to take some time away to get the emotions out. Cause obviously emotions don't always help and then do a debrief and do some learnings, do some understandings uh, outside the almost a bit more the coldness of, of the event itself. Cause I think when you're heightened, you know, if your coach came to you after the race, race, how do you go on? What should we go? And you'd be like, no, it just wouldn't be the helpful time at all. Um, so going back to your 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 transition you made that leap uh, of faith almost um what advice would you give to somebody today who is about to either do a big career change uh or they're going to do a go for a big uh, or, or say start a business I say that's another that's another huge thing what advice would you give them based on your own experience and learnings ultimately do it ultimately take that leap um 
And again, easy to say once you've done it um, and you can look back. But I would say in terms of preparing to take that leap, build your your cheer squad, your community, your network around you. So have those core people in your corner who, and that's not that they are um, unrealistic supporters in terms of everything is rosy like you have to have a balance of people I think in that that group to you know challenge you challenge your decision not decision challenge your ideas just to make you think through a little bit but uh, but you have sort of you know have people um who can give you support in different ways Mm. and ultimately they will be there as you as you take the leap and then you know that those first few steps are going to be rocky and they're still there with that that faith support regardless of what happens Mm. um i think that that community that support is is really key um i would also say from a business perspective and again it comes into a little bit of community but try and um uh if you work with like an executive a coach a mentor uh, someone who again can give you an external perspective from things Mm. um you know even to the even you know it's fascinating like in sport we are constantly getting feedback we have gadgets data um we have a coach you know you are almost like constantly reviewing every session and things like that and I don't think we do that enough in in business in terms Mm. of performance um I think you have to again I always say you have to be careful not to, to kind of like get paralysis by analysis as well. Mm. And sometimes, you know, it stops, stops doing that. And, and a little bit going back to what you just said about taking a few days to take the emotion out and then doing a review. And I think I kind of probably learned that from being in the army and the military and like any, any operation, you are constantly doing what went well, what went, didn't go so well, what can we do better? Um, and I feel, um, with some of my experience now having a little bit of a foot back in corporate world that seems to be missing. And I think the high performing teams and the high performing businesses do it and the others haven't quite got there yet. Mm. Um, but that is, but, but then from, so for somebody then thinking about taking a leap, I would, yeah, go back to what it is that, why are you doing this? why do you want to do this? What is that? Why that driver and building your network and support team around you that will be with you up and down kind of thing mm. and get you through it good and bad. They'll be your cheer squad, but they'll be your reality voice as well kind of thing. Yeah. That's important that, that, that cheering you along, but also creating that sense of keeping your feet on the ground in the context. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that those, those people around you. Now you have this, obviously high performance mindsets and wanting to excel and you sometimes you're hard on yourself and you push yourself um we've got a question that's coming from somebody i think you know I think you went on the <laughs> podcast as in what, i'll read the question what role has growing up with three sisters themselves all high performers played in your performance this come from paul teasdale <laughs> um uh, yeah i mean Oh, I could say something very rude at this point about my three <laughs> old. I'm the so I'm the youngest of four girls. Um, 
three of us are engineers, I guess I would say. I think the role of growing up with three sisters, it's shown me, I think they were, we were all brought up to be pretty fiercely independent and I guess driven in terms of what we could achieve. Um, I think particularly from a sports perspective, one of my sisters played, played sport at a very high level, um, playing netball. And I think that was a huge, like she would go to athletics and training and then I, I was a lot younger and would go along with her. And I think that just, it got me into sport and then I could see her, when she was playing sport, it wasn't professional either. And I could see the hard, you know, she was full-time job and, and tying that down with then how hard she worked in sport. Um, I think it's almost not like, I think we, when you're young, you probably don't really appreciate it as much, but I think for me, I'm very passionate about women in business, women in sport. So having three older sisters, particularly in engineering, and my dad was an engineer. Um, I think that's very powerful to see what as female, as women we can achieve. I think probably now being a lot older, I appreciate what they do and what they have achieved in their own rights even more because you know it's so it's so different from what I'm doing um and the what they're achieving in business or in their own fields of expertise I find is fascinating and would love to sort of have more of these types of conversations with them to learn more from them mm. um but ultimately we don't because when we get together with a family, there's like kids screaming and running around the place and it's more just like that. <laughs> that and you almost revert back to type of when you were six, eight, 10 and 12 kind of thing. And I'm the youngest at that point. So um, I would say I'm the one that, yeah, gets the, gets the, um, his taken out of me and, and, and my leg pulled probably more um, than the others. Um, but yeah, I think it just showed like what you can achieve and that you we can all be incredible in different all achieve in different areas and it was Excellent. inspiring i guess to some extent yeah yeah that is inspiring and just just finally Ria, just just one last thing you've got, you've got a quote that says don't die wondering and i was wondering where you how you conjure that up where it's come from and, and why you've got that quote and what it means to you yeah, so that was actually um, when I was in Australia and I was doing the sport as an amateur and had my corporate job and I was heading out to the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, which were held in Las Vegas. This was in 2013. Um, and I guess at this point I'd been in the sport a few years and I'd progressed through those amateur ranks. And I was going out and it, there were a few kind of like, are you going to turn professional and that sort of thing. I still felt very new and not ready to turn to do to that full leap. But anyway, I was going out to this event um, and a friend who I'd been training with in, in Australia just sent me a message and it just said, don't die wondering. Um, and I sort of then adopted it from there and took it into the race um, and again I guess it's that you know you don't want to look back and think what if it's it's you know mm. it's that no fear no regrets and 
came out of that race with with the win for my age group and overall female amateur and that was kind of that starting point of going okay maybe maybe there is something here and so then try and try, and I don't always get it right but try and fall back on you know any of those if I get to a, a crossroads a turning point decision making process of of like try and fall back on that don't die wondering like life mm. is you know it's too short we only have it's not a dress rehearsal this is it mm. um we've got to make the most of it we've got to if we like you know follow follow that passion or you know lucky fortunate I don't know do you make make your own luck it's you know it, it's not easy it's it's hard work it's you know I was slight tangent here I was listening to a podcast on manifesting and that sort of thing and a lot of people think that's just it is just sort of dreaming up and it'll happen it's like no you have to do the work to get there but it's just conceptualizing how you're going to do that work yeah and into that vision at the end of it um and you know I do a lot of visualization in sport mm. so yeah I think that's so that's that's where the, the phrase came from and then I try and sort of use that as a, a bit of a, a backbone if I do come to anything of yeah should I do this should I move here should I move to Boulder from Spain should I move to New Zealand at that point you know a few years ago and mm. the risks and stuff and it's like you know come on then what what is that value why are you doing it and you know a little bit of that the what if don't die wondering just just do yeah. it sort of thing yeah it's almost like a value to you isn't it really it's like yeah. a, a real value yeah. that helps drive you and helps you make decisions uh big decisions important ones yeah. um, I think it's a brilliant one and um yes visualization you can't just sit on a sofa, visualize it, and it'll all happen. You've got to get out and do stuff as well. I, I'm really yeah. in for visualization. I do a lot of stuff with coach with when I coach people to visualize. It's really important, but uh, you have to put some action in as well. <laughs> on, yeah. on <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed our conversation, uh, Laura, uh, and thank you for sharing so openly and honestly about how you've made that transition. And uh, there's been some great insights along the way and really helps for people who are making either career transitions or going to make a startup business or whatever it may be, a big project in an organization. Uh, really appreciate your time. If people want to connect with you, get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, I, I, thank you as well. I've really enjoyed the, really enjoyed chatting and I'm sure we could go on for like another another hour or so, talk about all different concepts. Um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. So I guess from a professional crossover into business uh but i do put, put stuff on. i'm on linkedin easy enough to find i think just laura siddle but probably in terms of following instagram is a fairly big one for me so at at lm sid um twitter i'm on at lm siddle um facebook and everything else is as you well i say as normal but it's quite old now i think every, I, I haven't yet gone onto tiktok and i know i should um and then i'm sure i had a I set up a, a, a group with some young female athletes a couple of years ago and wanted a, a platform to all communicate through. And I, of course, said, oh, well, let's do Facebook. But they're all like 16, 17 year olds. And like, yeah, we don't have Facebook. That's what our parents have. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> OK, yes, quite old now. <laughs> but yes, I am on those platforms. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, what I'll do, I'll make sure in the show notes, we'll have all those sort of connections of Instagram, Twitter, website and everything else. That'd be good. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time today, Laura. Much appreciated. No, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. 
As a coaching practice, we coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. <laughs>